Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's now freezing in Wrocław this week, especially. It's um, it's going to be below, uh, well, in Celsius, I guess. So it's like below four in Fahrenheit. That's like, uh, I don't want to misquote it. It's like 20 something, like low 20s, dipping into the, uh, into like mid-teens here. Uh, it's pretty shitty. It's the, I guess it's what I was dreading when I was thinking of the Polish winter. But it's actually, it, it sucks, but um, it doesn't feel as, uh, it, it feels more bearable than I thought it would be. I thought I would, um, it'd just be a nightmare, but um, it sucks, but it, it, I, can, I can handle it, is what I'm trying to say. Um, also, a friend of mine gifted me her old bike. So in addition to it being freezing outside, I've been flying through it faster than people walk, and uh, it's been extra cold in that regard, especially to the fingers. But um, in a way, when you pass through uh, that cold and end up back inside the warm, the warmth of uh, of the indoors, it feels like. Uh, a very rewarding experience, and uh, especially late at night when I get back, it feels like um, I've accomplished something, and um, and uh, I feel more alive. Yeah. Um. Also, the semesters started, so um, this semester it seems like the courses are better taught, and I think I'll enjoy them a bit more than uh, the ones from last semester. Not that I didn't enjoy them. Okay, yeah, they, last semester they weren't the greatest, but uh, also the uh, the professors weren't the greatest, but the topics were okay, and I think this semester is going to be even better. And uh, let me just check out the list here on what courses I'm taking, just to let you guys know. So there's one that's um, it's actually it's 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 really big. It's international economic transactions, and it's from eight in the morning to three p.m. So it's really long but uh, it's only uh, every two weeks, so that's not so bad. And uh, in recent years, I've been very interested in economics, so this should be a, um, a, a good class for me to, uh, to get into because I don't actually know how, like I'm all into free trade and pretty critical on, um, on trade organizations like the WTO and then like the IMF, International Monetary Fund, yeah, uh, these big supranational uh, organizations, I guess they're called, um, that I'm very critical of them, uh, but um, I'm not exactly sure how international uh, economic transactions actually go down, so I think it'll be nice to learn about that. Um, and then I have uh, four other classes, uh, shorter ones, um, normal uh, duration classes, so conventional and hybrid warfare, transition of power, uh, and then, so those two are more like uh, theoretical classes, and then uh, two classes on area studies, so the Balkans in international relations, and also the Middle East in international relations, so that'll be a lot of fun, and 
also a workshop on emerging global security challenges. So I've got a lot on my plate this semester. I've already started on some of the readings, but um, I think, yeah, I'm just feeling positive about the semester so long as I can overcome the freezing cold. But anyway, this week's episode is, well, it's also academically related. It's a it's from a couple presentations that uh, that I did with Boris Valov. Um, he was he was in a uh, one of the first episodes of uh, this iteration of the Fun But Diplomacy podcast, and um, we did a few a couple presentations on the subject of private military firms. It's a very fascinating subject and very timely, uh, especially since I would say um, since the '90s, but especially since 2003, and then. And then also in recent uh, in recent weeks and months, with uh, activity by Russia in places like the Balkans and in Syria, so we'll jump into that. And uh, I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fun Boat Diplomacy podcast. And today we're going to be discussing a specific topic. I'm here with Boris Valov. Again, he was in an episode a couple months back, but we together we did a project for a couple presentations uh, at, in our master's program about private military firms, PMFs. And I'm going to start out by, first of all, welcome, <laughs> welcome <laughs> Boris Hi. again. Hi, how's it yeah. going? <laughs> Good. We have some wine here. We're going to talk about some some uh, serious shit. So <laughs> the uh, I'm it is first... serious. It's yeah, it's serious, serious and man. especially in this past week, stuff is going on. Yeah, like Russian mercenaries and things like this. But uh, we'll get into that a little later in the episode. And the first thing I want to do is just cover basic things so that those of you following along at home can uh, can understand what's uh, the situation. And it's stuff just lifted directly from our presentation. Uh, so it's going to feel really um, repetitive for us, but hopefully um, interesting for you all. So private military firms, PMFs, are corporate bodies that specialize in the provision of military skills, including tactical combat operations, strategic planning, intelligence gathering and analysis, operational support, troop training, and military technical assistance. And it's particularly important, this technical uh, aspects because more and more um, the it's not just war fighting but the means have become more and more skills based and it's not just laying fire on the enemy the basic stuff in uh, in uh, in combat operations and unlike loose mil- uh, loose mercenaries these are companies that are profit driven at the firm level and shares of these companies are traded publicly on international stock exchanges and they have links to financial holdings and provide a wide range of services to a wide range of clients. And it means that they can work for multiple clients and multiple markets and multiple theaters of operation. So they can serve different countries or factions in different regions of the world and are involved in different conflicts as well. And one person you might have heard of, um, especially those of us in the United States, might have heard of the name Eric Prince and since 2003, he's become sort of the face when it comes to the topic of uh, private military firms. Uh, we would, yeah, we would more accurately call them for us contractors, and then 
um, and then like the the less I guess if you put less politically correct word would be mercenaries, but then so more or less these are what these people are. It's a little different because they're part of a company. But anyway, um, Eric Prince was a former Navy SEAL, and uh, during the 90s he was involved in all kinds of uh, special operations for the United States. And uh, it was in the 90s, in late 90s in Kosovo. I think he was in Kosovo. And uh, he was uh, inspired because of he was seeing inefficiencies and this and that in the military structure of the United States. He was inspired by this to to start a company. Um, he was the CEO of Blackwater, which uh, Americans will have heard of um, because of the controversial nature of this uh, company. And until 2010, he was the CEO, and uh, this company received $600 million in contracts from the CIA and provided nearly a thousand guards to U.S. embassies and bases, and they were involved in a number of incidents of misconduct, including firing on civilians, bribing Iraqi officials, and uh, there's actually an incident. A the a guard of the vice president of Iraq was was killed by one of his guys because this dude was drunk. <laughs> so. It's, it helps create this sort of stigma towards uh, private military firms that last till today. And then he sold Blackwater since then and uh, began providing private security in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and trained a force of 2,000 Somalis that virtually eliminated this piracy issue that was a, a thing uh, uh, in the early 2010s um, uh, in the Gulf of Aden. And to bring it till today, just a couple months ago, he pitched a couple ideas to President Trump. It's always weird to say that. Like, I sometimes I have to uh, bring myself back to the reality that uh, that's if he's that's actually a the thing, president. That yeah. President Donald. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, one to privatize the war in Afghanistan, which we um, we had watched this short video with John Stossel on YouTube um, about. Uh, an interview with uh, with Eric Prince on privatizing the war in Afghanistan, which he estimates would costs uh, cut the costs down to just eight percent of current uh, spending. And uh, the second thing he wanted to bounce off of the president as an idea was to help uh, help him create a personal intelligence wing. So the president, one person himself, would have. A personal private intelligence um, organization that would counter the deep state, which is uh, is it actually going to happen? Or I don't think so. But we don't know. No, no. Like yeah. it's something that Donald Trump would would like. You know, like a, a, a authoritarian leader sort of thing, that sort of move. So this would counter the CIA and NSA. But actually, that's that's an interesting thing these days. Uh, is in the mainstream media, they will talk about at least a couple of months ago. Um, they'll talk about the idea of the deep state, which before they would be very quiet about and not want to talk about. But yeah, good that they're pointing this out in the mainstream media. They they kind of suck, but at least they're covering this. <laughs> it's like a little silver lining. And Eric Prince's activities sort of highlight the kinds of considerations that go into private military firms in the contemporary context. And on the other hand, on the one hand, you have efficiency, cost reduction, effective execution of plans. But on the other hand, 
private interests in foreign policy matters and accountability of these firms uh, when things go wrong. That's something that needs to be thought about. And uh, they both support and sabotage state interests, which is traditionally the monopoly on violence in the state. And uh, generally, when you take this into account, the state's role has been deprivileged a bit, but still, it's most of the people hiring these firms are our states, but then you have the possibility of non-state actors hiring them, and uh, yeah, I can also I want to go in also like organization operations. So these uh, like characteristics of these organizations is they're not capital intensive, so they don't require heavy investment. They have um, the necessary tools and equipment available on the open international arms market at bargain prices, and especially we talked about this in the. Um, the presentation that after the Cold War this is not not as big of a thing now, but like right after the Cold War, there's all these organizations, private military companies and firms um, buying like just unused Soviet stuff uh, in these now like freed up countries that just hold all these arms, and so they they want to make some money, they sell it to these uh, companies. Uh, more and more these days, I guess they're buying surpluses from the, the, the more recent wars. So whatever is the most recent, it's uh, like you can buy a generation before, like the the model before for uh, in present times for bargain prices. And that's how the... Yeah, but the important thing is to say that um, buying this type of machinery and, and, and guns and stuff like that back then in the 90s was not something... Um, like today, because the um, the evolution of machinery and and uh, guns in, in 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 particular is very 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 it's it's hugely fast today. Yes. Not not like that in the nineties. Maybe it was fast, but not that much. And buying uh, the old, as we could call them, um, old Soviet style machinery and guns and so on, uh, buying them back then uh, didn't meant particularly that they're buying old stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. They were. We also have to point out that the Cold War was finished because of the collapse of the Soviet Union. But the Soviet Union did not collapse because of a war; it collapsed because of a bad economy. So, if we have to think about if United States, if the free world against in a war against Russia, then then there are too many unknowns because Russia does have. A power, does have a lot of powerful weapons and her weapons are actually sometimes better than the Americans mm -hmm. if you think about the AK-47 perhaps yeah. and then all of that combined together it's uh, it's ruined because of the bad Soviet economy and it's free on the market and not tracked and not tracked at all yeah. because you have to know that this is not produced only by russia itself but mm -hmm. all her satellites yeah and china and china of yeah. course but china is some some kind of a different core that you cannot actually monitor at all but russia and the eurasian part of russia and the uh, uh, and the stand yeah. in the in the soviet former soviet countries you can but actually no one is i mean back then in the 90s, even till the early 200s. And after that, these private, uh, private firms bought from the countries these manufacturing um, facilities to produce them already for the open market. So they're going legit. Before that, 90s to till the 200s, 2000s, it was 
not a legit business, not really. It was more or less like of a back, like a plan B for the government to, to make some money up front to cover some. So you're saying these like plants uh, in these uh, countries, these countries are being updated. Mm. Yeah, definitely and, because. Yeah. I could speak. I could speak for Bulgaria mm-hmm. because we are also one of the. You could check it that online. Actually, there is very nice um, sites online where you could check where uh, AK forty seven is being produced in one of the countries, Bulgaria, and you could see that every single country does have a very different, like a different models. You have the standard AK forty seven zero plus something, but then you have different types of AK with um, uh, with. We also have them not o- not only um, we also have a mm, how do you call them manual and uh, not uh, non automatic weapons also uh, and from this type of machinery uh, people in the country from the specific facility they are making a different type of machinery a different type of gun which could uh, hold less gun less uh, bullets mm-hmm. but higher proficiency and stuff like that so. They're actually evolving, and they're they have been used widely in the in the militias in the poor countries like Africa, Middle East. They have been buying them for a long time, and you can. This is why American forces going boots on ground in some Syrian or Afghani or uh, more and more in Afga- Iraqi. Uh, Iraqi or African uh, uh, village and they open up a casket with guns and they see Russian or Bulgarian or some other Slavic inscriptions on the guns because they have been actually bought from these countries and it's it, it is pretty interesting uh, today this business is legit it's the same way America is selling guns the same way every single country is selling guns right, right. but it has it have been in, in inherited by these former Soviet mm-hmm. uh, gun producement business. Yeah, I saw this thing on Vice recently. It was it uh, had to do with the um, nuclear facilities. I think it was yeah, missile technologies mm. and people these experts who used to work in the Ukraine mm. these uh, on these on these missiles and uh, maintaining them and everything, but they just upped and left. Nobody mm. knows where they went. Mm. But these guys have the expertise. Who's hiring them? Mm. <laughs> that's the question. You're very. That's that's very. I mean, it's interesting because we also have Elon Musk's uh, Musk a couple of right. uh, yeah uh, day ago days ago, and then uh, on the uh, because I'm following this uh, uh, Russian uh, sites and forums and stuff like that, and people are writing. Uh, Bad shit, crazy stuff on them, and then it's like Americans don't not, don't have enough firepower to um, lift that thing in space. This is why they used the old Soviet um, engine and stuff like that. And it's and it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Uh, and you could think about it because if, during history, after the Second World War and stuff like that, you you do have. You do have uh, a lot of uh, German scientists that actually went both to Nazi Russia scientists. to Nazi scientists. Yeah, yeah. Yes, went both to Russia and and to to US. And they uh, and the difference is uh, they went to Russia because they have been forced to go to Russia. <laughs> they have been captured as as prisoners and stuff like that, and been, have been forced to work in their plants over there and facilities and and, and make weapons and stuff. 
Although oh, w- when we s- speak about America, America actually hired them. Yes. So this is a Operation Paperclip. You can exactly. Yeah. This is an absolutely different approach. And these people are starting their new life in America. They're not Nazi. I mean, they... they Werner they, von Braun was uh, the head of the rocket program. He was a Nazi. Exactly. Yeah. But not all of them. Not all Some of them. Some of them, yeah. major, the major part of, the, of, of this, of this um, group like of scientists people... They were just caught scientists up the caught up in the... Th- yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then they, they have been hired. This is the better approach, to be mm. hired. And this is why America and most of the western countries have better have better machinery have been going on more further into science than russia it is although russia is spending more i'm not going to say 90 but i'm going to say more than 50% of their gbp on uh, on the um, security uh, systems in the country as well in developing their uh, in their um, military machineries and stuff like that, like tanks, BDRs, and stuff like that. So it it is very crazy about mm. when we when we think in that perspective. And uh, it's, let's return a bit to the private military thing. Yeah. What 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 is like the, the recent developments that we're seeing? Because you have, in you were reading about um, the Russian uh, hired hired guns in the Balkans. And then I was looking at uh, Russian. They, I wasn't clear. I, I didn't do my research for this. But no like um, uh, the role of mercenaries in um, contractors or whatever, mm. um, and the clash between Russia and the United States. Yeah. So, so the thing is, um, when we speak about because majorly we're going to speak about the two major forces in 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 the world. One is America, and the other one is the the Russian Federation. Um, uh, the 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 private co- contractors that have been used for uh, waging wars in distinct part of the world, not only I mean, like Middle East, Africa, Afghanistan, and so on, and, uh, Bosnia as well. Maybe not that much in Bosnia, but still. Uh, the thing is, uh, if we're because I do know about the Russian. <laughs> The, the Russian way of doing things in this particular way, um, the, the the Americans maybe did not found. There is like a short sentence saying, "I found the hot water," which means pretty much like eureka. You know, mm-hmm. Americans are, are, cannot say eureka to finding the private military organizations because maybe they they could say that thing uh, regarding the private military organizations being dealt on the financial market. That's one thing, but private military organizations or or um, organizations that are not affiliated with the actual government that, that it's sending them have been used in the past for many years, for decades, by the Russians, and they have done that in Estonia. I mean, in the Baltic countries when when they they were about to take them and they took them, they were doing that in. Uh, in uh, um, the countries from the southeastern uh, Europe, when the Soviet army was uh, going in, uh, there were like battalions such as this ones that were actually waging war, and they were not identifying themselves. No one knew who they were. They were they were speaking Russian. But they had no identification, no flag whatsoever. Just going in and starting doing some batshit crazy stuff, and and, and any then sort of 
press that comes out about them is uh, can be swept under the rug. Exactly. Especially uh, we see it now um, when they are either killed in action or if they are involved with something they... No, they weren't really Russian soldiers. The, exactly. This is this is what Russia is using as a plan for many years now. Mm-hmm. This is this is the the so called the so called um, green soldiers strategy. Uh, these are soldiers that are Russians, private military organizations, uh, going undercover. They're not uh, saying where they're from, who they work for, who is paying them. They're just going into the uh, into the country. And in most most of the times, it's a country that is with a Slavic background, so they could have the language uh, abilities, and um, they would they would be either called um, revolutionaries, people that are starting some kind of a proxy war against the government because the government is not good in this particular country, and they are actually fighting a war of Russia on foreign soil, playing as their um, um, rebels. Mm-hmm. This is actually something that happened in in Ukraine, in Crimea, because yeah, there are many people in uh, the Crimea, in Crimea, when uh, which are um, not identifying themselves ethnically as as, as uh, Ukrainians uh, rather than Russians. However, uh, these these people are not actually were not actually able to wage war on the whole country, so they needed this greens. Uh, soldier strategy from Russia, and these guys were sent there, and they said, "Hey, do you know what? We found we, we found some rebels here in, uh, in the in the forests, and they they are going to wage a war against the official government because you know we are Russians, and the official government is uh, somehow putting the boot on us." Mm-hmm. So, uh, in this this sense, is is this way of doing wars. Yeah, it's part you of the would, Russian you know, mentality. You call this, uh, this would be like hybrid war. It is a hybrid. This, this, this in, this, in some sense, yes. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not conventional, mm. and it's like this new way of uh, you. You call you call something different, but it's still the same thing. You mm. just give it a different name. Exactly. Um, yeah. And the, that what that is relates to this article from January <laughs> of uh, Russian trained mercenaries backing Bosnia Serb separatists. Yeah, this is the one is that this I was the one about. You're to, yeah, at? I'm no, looking at this. Can you tell right me now. a bit about this cuz I didn't read the article. <laughs> well, it's it, this is this is very interesting because now we know that um years after the Bosnia war, the war in Serbia, Bosnia and Kosovo and so on, the whole mess that was created there. And people from both sides, I mean both sides, I mean like people from uh pro western, pro Russian side and stuff like that would say this is their fault or this is their fault, doesn't matter. The thing is a mess was created there, and then now what is happening? This these countries, the Western Balkans, are trying to uh, somehow refurb- refurbish their economies and go to uh, on the path of of democracy. Uh, we could see that very. We could see that specifically uh, will happen with uh, Croatia. Croatia was also part of the war, but Croatia was uh, uh, became part of the European Union in 2013, if, if I'm not mistaken. And it was it was very much over overdue because they 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 should have been part of the European Union much more earlier. However, um, this is actually the same thing happening with Bosnia and Herzegovina, and also with. Um, Serbia and not really Serbia. Serbia is the only country that it's uh, it, uh, it, it's more resistant. It's more resistant, and there is there is like a saying on the Balkans 
that the stronghold of Russian politics on the Balkans is actually Serbia. Because maybe many people would say Bulgaria, but if you see how the history went, uh, most of the times Bulgaria is leaning towards Russia or towards the Western uh, world. And then when, uh, how do you call it, uh, when the knife hits the bone, mm -hmm. you know, then the country goes to, to the Western side, goes to the German side, mm -hmm. let's say, Merkel yeah. and stuff like that. Yes. But when it, when it comes to, to Serbia, Serbia sticks with Russia all the time. Yeah, and it also has a history of being a bit of a, it's called a victim of NATO. Exactly. Yeah. And not only of NATO, Amer America as yes. well. Yeah. So there is a, it's a huge problem right now. But although this has been happening, uh, Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, Macedonia, and the countries in the Western Balkans in general, they have been trying to, uh, to, be, to become part of the European Union and NATO. But this is something that Russia does not like. Of course not. Because now these countries are in her periphery and she could, she could make them do whatever, they, whatever she likes to, to do. And what in particular, I, I'm going to say that in 2018, the end of 2018, Russia is going to finish her uh, gold reserve. That's it. Russia's, Russia's economy is going down. It is. It has been going down for a couple of several years right now, but uh, but um, in 2018, Russia's economy done. That's it. And what they are doing, they are trying to pressure all their former Soviet bloc countries and extort them for money. How? Uh, let's say in a country like Bulgaria, there is a um, nuclear plant that have never been built. There were plans to do that, but they didn't do it. Now, what they're doing, they're forcing the government to build this plant, which costs billions of euros. And where they're uh, buying the, uh, the, need, the, the stuff to build the facility, the reactors, and so on and so on, they're buying it from Russia. Old Soviet reactors, which cost five cents, they're selling them to these former Soviet countries for billions. And this is a way to boost their economy. And this is a thing that they're actually doing in all of their former satellite countries. Serbia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Romania. There's, there's no, this is, it doesn't take a genius to see that this isn't a long-term way to solve an economy. <laughs> you are right, you're totally right. But uh, if, you, if you also think about it that way, they're also controlling their I internal economies in the sense of market, in the sense of uh, shady bankers right. uh, um, um, owning some of their banks, because we also have the free economy and uh, you have uh, like uh, Unicredit Bank and stuff like that, like uh, Western banks being in the countries. But you also have local banks that have been actually overtaken by Russian oligarchs, the ones that the America and European Union is banning for life from the uh, states and the union. And these guys are actually holding the money in these countries, more or less. And we see how it goes. But going back to the topic of, of these private military organizations and the one in Kosovo and Serbia, uh, what are they doing? They're sending their private military forces, their boots on ground in the countries, to uh, teach 
the, pri- the the militaries of these countries, how to fight, how to the wage militaries war. Militaries or the um, well, this was Bosnia. So this is the Bo- this is so the Bosnia conflict. The, but the, uh, Serbia is different. Serbia, they are it's actually directly to the directly to the, to the state, military. Yeah. This is to the to, to the, the separatists. to the separatists. Yeah. In yeah, Bosnia, it's, it's some, in the in separatists. I just recently was getting was getting into uh, this um, the situation with the Balkans and the former Yugoslavia, and um, I'm also like an amateur at this. People at home might not know what the situation is there. Do you want to like very briefly mm. like what's going on? What's Bosnia? What's what, what's what's the relationship of Serbia? Like what? Yeah, I yeah, mean, if it, you can explain after the after the Cold War, what? I would say yeah, like in the in the nineties. Well, it's it's. I guess we can explain it in the way in the sense that like there's all like different ethnic groups, different. Yeah. Um, different oh, yeah, religions, that's, that's yeah. and then uh, and then they were all united into a Yugoslavia, and then uh, and then when they broke up, there's like people living like Serbs living in Croatia, living in exactly. Bosnia, and it's just mixed in between borders, mm. just like how in the Middle East it's uh it's like all mixed up, and then when when they're trying to have political uh, consolidation, it it's difficult because you have different uh, competing very deep rooted like competitions mm. um trying to like get power and yeah. just the same as how Iraq has mm. the Shia Sunni Kurds uh, Christian like just all kinds of groups trying to get power and um in the 90s it had to like, the the rest of the world uh intervened as well and then so currently it's all these countries and um they more or less get along, even though they didn't get along before, except for Serbia never really got along with them and continues. Like, it's hard for me to like conceptualize sometimes because I've had uh, Croat friends and Serbian friends and they like, we can like, we like, they all get along. Oh, they're getting along. Yes. Very and they can like go places. And oh yeah. yeah, yeah out sure. and, but like, but it's just Serbia just doesn't, uh, um, go all in like the other other ones have because the other ones some of them have like absorbed into the Soviet no, no, uh, European Union mm. they've uh, they've like had they've been involved in Western economies and uh, and Serbia has a diffi- difficulty and then with you have the um, the the topic of Kosovo mm. and um, and that being not a hundred percent given up by Serbia yet and it's like I don't think that. It's going to be... Today, actually, is given the 10th anniversary. Yeah, extended it's, anniversary. Yeah, today is the 10th anniversary. It's, uh, the, speaking like... I mean, let's say that. Let's say something briefly about the Balkans in general. Balkans is a place where you go and you need to know that there is like a deep-rooted history. Everything people are giving you there, like if you are a foreigner, they would very much like to imply on the historical part of the thing that they actually give you. They might give you um, a plain uh, um, alcoholic drink, but they would speak about the history of this alcoholic drink. It might be wine, it might be um, uh, the local uh, rakia or rakia, whatever. Um, doesn't matter. The thing is, history is very much deeply rooted and people are fighting over it which is in my opinion pretty stupid uh however nationalistic national ideas are very much embedded into the society and and it's very hard to to make it disappear if we're speaking about uh, yugoslavia 
it is a country that um, it's very contradictory in in, in many ways. Um, I could start with the good thing because after uh, Yugoslavia was was uh, well, actually somehow became part of the Soviet bloc, not per se, but a satellite country. After a couple of years in fifty in the fifties, let's say. Uh, Sympathetic to the Soviets. The, exactly. The, yeah. the Tito, which is yes. the, the leader of the Yugoslavian communists and so on and so on, he actually uh, cut his ties with, uh, with Stalin, with the Russians, right. with the Soviets. And he started to have this, again, communistic, socialistic policy, but also because of the geographical topos of the uh, Yugoslavian country, which is very close to Western Europe, they had all of these advantages that the rest of the countries close to the Soviet Union did not have. And I'm very sp speaking about simple words here. They had jeans. We didn't have jeans. They had Levi, Levi's shoes, mm -hmm. uh, sneakers, and stuff like that. Uh, we didn't have them. We had to go to Yugoslavia and then buy stuff from there. I heard that and also in Hungary was like this. Hungary was also like that. Hungary is very much into the heart was, of, the, yes. of the European uh, uh, peninsula. Uh, continent, let's say that. And then... Uh, and then this Yugoslavia country, this it's contained by Macedonia, which is, I would say, the apple of Eden to the Balkans, because everybody on the Balkans want part of Macedonia. This is Bulgaria, um, Greece, Serbia, um, Albania. Yes, they want part of. Of, of Macedonia for different reasons and Macedonia as well want to be independent also so it's a huge mess and I have to say that most of the population is Slavic or Slavic mixed with uh, very old ethnicities like uh, Thracians, Illyrians, uh, Tatars, you name it, mm. doesn't matter uh, but Slavic let's say, Slavic language is spoken there and so on um, the thing is uh, <laughs> It is very interesting how all of these nations, having their separate identities, are combined in one country. And then during Yugoslavia. During Yugoslavia. Yeah. And then after the fall of Yugoslavia, they become separate countries. And as you said, people like Serbians end up in Macedonia, Macedonians end up in Croatia, which is five hundred or six hundred kilometers away. Mm -hmm. It's a mess, a total mess. And then you have Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is a country having, um, if I'm not mistaken, they have four prime ministers. <laughs> yes, three, I think. Four or three. I think no. they have three and one which is major, but I'm not particularly sure. <laughs> okay. We have to check that out. Yeah. The thing is, they have at least three four, uh, prime ministers, which are for every e ethnic group in the country. Right. We also there, were, there were times in the 90s where well, some of the conflicts happened because some of the prime, uh, a prime minister or this prime minister or that prime minister would just walk out and be like, okay, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, exactly. Pick up guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and war happens. Yeah. I, I, do you know this movie? Uh, it's called um, with um, Nicolas Cage. Um, he's a gun dealer. Yeah. Um, shit. King of uh, Lord of War. Lord, Lord of War. Yes, yeah, King yeah. Lord, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then he's, he's a, um, how do you call it, a a gun gun dealer. Mm-hmm. And um, he says something very interesting. Uh, when uh, he says something very interesting when when he's speaking about uh, about the world in general, when he wants to speak about the wars and where he actually sells his guns better and and stuff like that. And then he says, everywhere in the world, you can expect a deal to be broken in the last moment. Just because people say, okay, we're not going to make war. We're just going to have some peace talks and stuff like that. You're dealing on the Balkans. You're definitely going to have your war, buddy. Because these people, when they start having a war, it's a war. They're not negotiating and stuff like that. It's a war. They lead the war. They finish the war. And then they negotiate. It has been like that for many years. And it's a very, very tender area. In, in the on the European map, it's very tender here, and they should be very very careful. Isn't Serbia this very <laughs> special case? All the other ones, yes, they have their conflicts, mm. but Serbia, they 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 never made their like they never peace. They never made their peace because they they. Uh, you should say also another thing. Um, you are American. And you can imagine that uh, Washington or, let's say, Pennsylvania, it's so, it's such a part of, of, of American history because this is where the place, I mean, the, the first gatherings of uh, people uh, making the Constitution and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's emblematic. Yes. Kosovo is the same thing as Pennsylvania is for the, Europe, of, 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 for the U.S. Because Kosovo is the... Is the region, it's Kosovo Pole or Kosovo Field, where the uh, the the war, the last war against the Ottomans, was led by the United United Forces of the Serbian Army, um, uh, and 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 also some uh, Western armies as well. So this is the the last standing point of the Christians against the Ottomans. And it was on Kosovo. I've heard it was called like the, the Jerusalem of the, of, it, the, of the Balkans. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, yeah. and this is a region that has always been part of Serbia. Mm. And they snatch it away. And you, kinda, you cannot actually imagine Pennsylvania being an independent state, you know. Or being part of... It would be weird. It would be very weird, weird. right? And people would uh, fight back against exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. This is what I mean. And you cannot expect Serbia to say, oh, yeah, we're fine with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there is also nationalism involved here. It should not be like that. Nationalism is something very bad, mm-hmm. it, particularly in our... Okay. And uh, you also have to say that although um, it is very bad for Serbia to lose Kosovo, it is also very different when we have to speak about what Serbia did during the communist period. And especially regarding the Muslim minority. There have been killings, a lot of them, mass murdering of Muslims in general. And this is something that we could kind of uh, see why, I mean, we could kind of see why actually the war in in Serbia, in in, in the region happened. Uh, um, The the Muslims, they live in... I mean, I'm not an expert. They're mostly in Bosnia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... they are also in Kosovo, but um, not okay, yeah. not too much, right, not too right. many. However, uh, however, in, in the, the when we have the war in Bosnia, uh, and also the unraveling's around, around in the in the region, 
we should know that <laughs> when America or NATO is going somewhere, as I really like to say, boots on ground and starting doing some crazy shit, um, they usually have casus belli, which translates to legal um, right to go and wage war. So this um, dictator decided to kill a lot of people. So this is an anti-humane act. This is a violence against humanity. So NATO and US as the um, uh, world's policemen, you could call them whatever you like, you call them. They have the right to go there Under and start the humanitarian exactly. Um, I mean, right they to protect. They could do also a lot of bad crazy stuff on ground but the initial mistake was made by this stupid dictator or leader which one was that uh in 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 this case that would be milosevic serbia milosevic was a fucking bloodthirsty egomaniac and he actually showed it very much in while he was judged in front of the hack um uh court I mean, his, particularly his last words, I, I've showed it to you like a couple of months ago when he says to the court that they could eat his shit and stuff like that. He's, he doesn't fucking care, you know? And this is why he actually ended up like that. That was like, a, how do you call him? One of these high ranking Soviet officers just sent him an, um, a note that he needs to die and he, Fucking hang himself himself in the in the really dedicated to this. He was very very de dedicated to the to the cause. I mean, um, maybe not in the way Serbia to be part of some great Soviet Union, but definitely Serbia not to be part of the free world. Speaking about though, going back to the whole agenda with the private military forces. We could see the same way of doing military or war um, dealings in in Estonia in the beginning in the Baltic countries in the beginning of uh, of, uh, of the before the Cold War and after the Cold War and also in the Balkans. We also see that in Ukraine with the private military military organizations with this. Kind of a green, a green, um, green soldiers strategy, and also we see the same thing today in Syria. Syria is actually being part of this. Uh, it's a domestic war, but it's also a war that actually um, it's 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 making Russia as a big polar bear going against. The free world in the face of is in the face of America, and trying their forces one against the other, and till this moment there was none, no, um, no crossfire between those two forces. Only on words, only Putin saying something, only Lavrov saying something, or Mr. Trump saying something in the open media and stuff like that. But nothing in particular. Couple of days ago, we see 200 military personnel, Russian military personnel, being killed, wiped off by uh, American air, air force attack. 
some hours later, we actually understand that this is not a military personnel of the Russian army per se, but actually a private military organization. It's called, extremely dangerous. Which is extremely dangerous, and it's called, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's called Wagner, this organization. Mm. And this organization is the same one that actually, um, it's allegedly the same one that actually sends, uh, sends this uh, personnel to Bosnia to... Um, but the situation in, in Syria is that to recruit uh, to recruit the Serbian criminal underworld because this is what they are doing there. They are going to Bosnia and uh, and to Serbia in general to uh, to recruit the Serbian um, um, underworld, the criminal, the criminals. Yeah, in, the in situation there. is that uh, more and more the Balkans are leaning towards the west, and then there are still these separatist groups and criminal organizations, yeah. as you said, that if given enough juice, yeah. can destabilize this process. They can, but this is, do you know what? I, I strongly believe that with the time, when, when time is passing, we are not the 90s. So in the 90s, that could have happened because the political situation was different. But today, we are different time. And uh, Russia doing the same thing all over again it might not work, uh, especially when we're speaking about the European and NATO integration of the countries. Because these countries, they have their issues in economic or judiciary systems and stuff like that. But other than that, they are trying to be part of the European Union and in the NATO zone. And, this, and, and Russia does not like that. I have here that... Um, so there's an... Somebody, um, a Russian, member of a Rus other Russia Nationalist Party confirmed that Kirill Anam, Ananiev, Ananiev, a, Ananiev yeah. a party member who left for Syria about a year ago, had been killed in an airstrike. Mm. Um, I can confirm that Kirill died on February 7th in Syria, near the Euphrates River, as a result of a strike by the American coalition. So these are... The situation is that Russians are, I mean, I'm just learning this now, like Russians are being killed by Americans. Yeah. And. But these Russians are not the but Russian not official, army. Yeah. They are the private military organization called Wagner. You're right. In, uh, which is Russian private military organization. The difference between private military organizations uh, hired by the American uh, um, government and the ones that, that are hired by the Russian government is that the, uh, you have at least a, a facade transparency when it comes to American uh, government hiring private military organizations. So you could see that the American government paid to this or that organization that amount of money to do something. But when it comes to Russia... There is no documentary trace. And that's to their advantage for deniability. And this is to their advantage for deniability because I could quote right now CNN uh, regarding the same topic about these 200 uh, Russians being killed. And what they say in the end, because the uh, Russian families of the died people, the people that actually died there, uh, are saying uh, to, to Putin or to Kremlin or to the government of Russia, is saying, please at least admit that these people have been killed there so we could claim their bodies. 
And but you do that, and you say that uh, Russians were killed by Americans. This is something more serious. That's what would happen if he said it. Exactly. But on the other side, what what the actual um, uh, Russian government is uh, saying, Peskov is one of the speakers of Kremlin. He's saying, and it's very hard to have detailed information uh, regarding any citizens outside of the Russian Federation when there are so many people living outside of Russia. Sounds like some bullshit. This is a, <laughs> a, this is a pure <laughs> bullshit because what you have embassies all over the world, you know where your people are, basically, and a person that is actually dead, <laughs> it's very easy to identify him. And this is... This is, this is you, we call this um, cleaning your hands like Pontius Pilatus. We, it was not us; it was somebody else. You know, and that's their advantage. It is. That's, this is this is their advantage yes. the, because they don't have this documentary trace. Because you see exactly the, what happened when American tr- uh, contractors were killed in Iraq. Like we knew, and we yeah. it's like those are our boys in yeah. some way. Yeah, they're uh, for America. They're Americans, mm. but uh, I guess more and more they're trying to play this Russian line. Mm. They're, because Afghanistan, as I understand, more than half of the American presence in Afghanistan is contractor, uh, not just not combat, but after just like all start, kinds of personnel. After the start of the Iraqi war, yes, yes, yes. yeah, and uh, and so people understand it as such as this is. This many American troops? That's not so many. We can accept that. Mm. But then the other half yeah. is, is contractors. And so there is an air of deniability. So when they get hurt, it's like, oh, they're doing their job, whatever. We don't need to report on it. It's not You're American right. troops. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess there's sort of this, like, merging of the, the strategies between the United States and Russia. A little bit. Not as much because you still have Americans dying in Afghanistan. Because, oh, but there is also a difference because you are American and you are also very much critical of the American government in many ways. I am. Other uh, of course, might yeah, not you be. and, and yeah. Uh, you should also remember that whenever whenever you are uh, comparing the both sides, Russia and America, you should know that you actually know as American citizen that these are mm. American hired private organizations and. One way or another in the American society that there there could be a debate about is that a good thing? Should we take these guys off this region over there? Or you could do a referendum or stuff like... I mean, there is a public discussion about this thing. You know about it. In Russia, normal citizen doesn't have a clue Unless about that. Unless their son thing. is killed, for example. At least their son is killed. Yeah, sure. But then... Then only case, uh, only case, and there is like a lot of complications because these people are actually very easy to to be forced to shut up. Mm. And in Russia, this is happening. I mean, this is happening to the uh, opposition leader in Russia. Did you see that? uh, Did you see that? uh, The only way they said that people are discovering that the only way they can get their uh, the snow shovel is if they write the name of the opposition leader on the snow <laughs> and so the city will come clear yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. True, 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 true. I mean, there are people in, in Russia that are thinking pro-European, pro-Western, uh, free market and stuff, and all the way. But, but, but they are being suppressed mm-hmm. by the... Uh, you know, uh, for a long time, and I'm going to finish with that thing, 
for uh, regarding Russia in general. Uh, for a long time, I had the opinion that the Russian government somehow is taking the power, the force out of the people, of the Russian people, and they are like somehow submitted to it, to the government. But since a couple of years now, I think that it's the other way around. I think the people are actually willing to vote for this government, to vote for Putin, because they like him. And this is something very, very, very bad when we're speaking about um, citizens' rights and what a citizen understands as, 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 as freedom. We could speak about education, how much and how further these people have been educated in their uh, in, in in their years, but it will lead us to many points, and maybe we could prove them in a long conversation. But mainly, this is what it is: these people, every single term, are voting for the same guy. You could say yes, but there is no alternative because he's killing the opposition. Sure. But, but they could, go and vote for him. But you could you could also not go and not vote for the guy. Or you could take your shovel, go on the street and start protesting with other people. But they're not doing that. I mean many Whoa. many people are doing it in Moscow and in the bigger cities, but we could see what is happening to them because pff, Russia is a big country. It's one point five uh no, I'm sorry, one hundred fifty million or maybe more. So Wait, that's it, it? 150 million. Okay, yes. okay. Uh, so if we... Millions and billions mixed yeah, up. Million, <laughs> yeah, million. Uh, European style. Yeah. But it, these people uh, that are actually going on a strike or uh, on a protest in, in Moscow or in St. Petersburg, Ekaterinburg and stuff like that, they're, they're not too many. And we could see that. There are many for the city, Per se, but they are not too many for the whole country to make a difference. So this is the thing. I, I strongly believe there are too many people in the in the country in Russia that are against Putin's regime, but they're not too powerful to change it because the other part of the country doesn't care, and they'd like to have somebody like Stalin leading them by their nose. I don't know and. If we're speaking about the uh, private military organizations that are connected to America, I mean, I'm probably you know more than me about that thing, but um, them being part of the uh, of the war in in Syria, then, as I already said, you could be a person that knows a lot of uh, a lot about the the uh, the happenings there. I mean. 2004 was it when these guys died, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The Blackwater. Blackwater. Uh, four Blackwater's contractors um, were driving down the highway and they got attacked. Make a comparison. Four against 200. And I got to tell you that these guys, the, the Blackwater company, was working in, 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 in the field long before these guys, the four guys died. And the same thing is happening with the Russian Wagner 
organization. They were working on Syria field long time before they, these 200 people were killed. Suspicious, though, that they have a German name, this uh, company. <laughs> uh, There's no relation. I there is no relation. Funny that but, they would. Uh, pick but a it's very name. interesting. Right. I'm. I'm not going. It's like to... a meta, like a poetic sort of. Uh, it's not thing. very much poetic, I would say. Because no, it's, it's in like... the Second World War, uh, to the German uh, jets, the one that are actually flying to uh, Britain or any country. Messerschmitt. Messerschmitt. Yeah. yeah. This Messerschmitt jets or planes, more or less. Um, into the earplugs or earphones of the uh, pilots, there was a music, uh, like playing through, playing through, um, which was Wagner. And these guys, because Wagner is very, uh, it's very epic. hard music, very epic music, yeah. and makes the body go warm and then yes. start doing crazy stuff. These people, actually, the moment they hear Wagner inside of the Messerschmitt uh, plane, they become kamikaze. So well, that's what I'm saying. It's you like could they, make the... it's poetic in this way that yeah. they adopted the the enemy's music, mm. the German music, mm. for their. Um, mercenary group i guess yeah but it is it's this no, like to wrap it up we're running out of time but it's like it's a uh, there's this adoption this is really uh interesting um method of hybrid war both the united states and and uh and russia using this uh sort of way out we can mm, call it mm. they don't have to deploy their own troops mm. they're still paying for it but uh, you have, as I said with Eric Prince, you have lower costs, like really well-trained guys, and you can go ahead and say that they weren't your guys. You're saying lower way. costs, but every single time, what I'm asking myself, because I'm, what I'm hearing is, we're getting much more money when we go, to, uh, this is what our soldiers are saying, we're getting much more money when we go to Blackwater. Yeah. Why? If there are lower costs, how you get much more money as salary? Well, each each well, this is like the getting in the weeds, but like each contractor receives more money from the company, mm. uh, and then the company is contracted by the state, mm. uh, U.S. or Russia. So they have to be earning more money than the national military, or they would just serve the national military, right? Mm, yeah. As an individual, but for the part of the state, it's really an advantage because you're getting your um, your strategic objective fulfilled, but you can when things don't go like um, when it's when the when the PR face of it isn't looking good, you can just say oh, it's not really our guys. So this is a uh, but also you can do it. So that's like when it comes to major things like Syria, where you uh, you have Russian troops and you have mercenaries. You have U.S. troops and you have U.S. mercenaries. Mm -hmm. But then when you have this situation with uh, Serbian separatists in Bosnia, then you have a, like a real tool to, um, yeah, you, you can really influence things and say you have no, you're not touching it at all. You Basically, you, you, uh, you hired this group to do some sort of, it's almost like an armed NGO mm. is the way that you can mm. see it. Exactly. Like, it is you, like, cause NGOs are funded by States a lot. Like you, 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 um, you petition for funding from the state 
and then you go ahead and, uh, and, 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 and carry out your task. And this group's particular task is, uh, is, is violence. So you're looking up Afghanistan. For I'm looking up Afghanistan because... What exactly for? I was, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the green... I'm just going to imply all over again the green strategy. Mm-hmm. The green... Um, yeah, sure. The green uh, soldier's strategy. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, as I already said, sending some guys, private military company or whatever, to some country... And stating after a couple of months, oh, do you know what? <laughs> there are these rebels there that are against your government. What are you going to do about them? And they're fighting against you and stuff like that. This could, be wor- this could work in, 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 in Slavic country or with a country with a Slavic background, mm. such as Serbia, Bosnia, Ukraine, Ukraine. Yeah. As I said before, the major, the Baltic the major countries. example for us here. This could serve as well to to Bulgaria because I could give you examples for a private for for organizations in our country, and in my country that um, uh, are actually being made by uh, Bulgarians, mm-hmm. but are funded by the uh, Russian government. Uh, however, this could work only in this kind of a platform. On a Slavic-based platform, but going to Russia to Syria, and and sending and, and making this green um, uh, soldier strategy there, the only way to back it up is on the not on the ethnicity level because you don't have this um, um, this ethnics ethnic groups you don't have them in your country because we also have to know about the ethnic groups in the Russian Federation. But um, uh, you don't have these particular ethnic groups in 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 the Russia in Russia, so you need to imply on the religion, Islamic religion, and what better way to um, uh, to 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 justify that than sending green soldiers, the green soldier strategy to be used by Russia with uh, uh, people from Afghanistan, which are in their. Uh, in some way, they are more or less um, Muslim. So sending them there, that would kind of... Um, are they doing that? The, the, sending Afghans this is, this is the... I mean, the people would have Russian passports. This is very much going to conspiracy right now, what I'm going to say. Okay. But, it's, <laughs> Let's get but, because we are, but just because we are speaking about it, it, it could prove, it could be happening... In a couple of days, we could hear about that but thing hey, in the I, news. I just imagine the reality that we uh, we already do understand um, for real about Af- the Afghan security forces. Yeah. They are not being well-trained and paid. No, really. They are uh, tasked with this huge, uh, huge assignment that was covered by the United States military mm, up yeah. until now. Yeah. And they just... Imagine if you're an Afghan uh, soldier... You don't really want to be working for the Afghan government. No, really. No, and uh, but you've been trained by the Americans and the Afghans yeah. uh, on how to go about this. And so if Russia comes yeah. along and they're like, "Hey, uh, well, not, maybe not Russia, but a company comes along and they say, yeah. hey, uh, do you want to work we, for me? Yeah. We pay more. You got pretty bad conditions. And for the Russian point of view, we're we're drawing uh, forces that." Um, could stabilize Afghanistan. We will take that away from the, the Americans, the American goals. We'll take that away, and then we we, we feed them into Syria. 
Yeah, true. That's yeah. also good. But, but the other thing is to, to just to have Russian soldiers that are actually saying, stating that they're uh, they're Muslim, yeah. and they say we're going there just to help our Muslim brothers because Russia. We we need to know when we're speaking about warfare. We need to know. Just this is something that I'm going to cry out loud and say, guys, read history. Read when you're speaking about some regions that you don't know about. Read history, basic history about the ethnic groups in the countries. Very, very important. In the Balkans, you have a lot of Muslim population, which is not Turkish, which is not Arabic. It is Slavic. Yes. They have been converted during the during the Ottoman period. They have become uh, very much acquainted with their Turkish brothers in faith. Mm-hmm. But they are ethnically different. There might be also Turkish people living in the Balkans, but doesn't make the other ones Turkish or Arabic in that sense. Same thing goes for Russia. Russia does. Uh, this is why there is no Russian citizenship. In Russia, they call it Arasianets, which means a a a a, a term for all people that live in Russia. It's pretty much like a, the concept of empire. Many nationalities, many ethnic groups living in one country. Russians are le- maybe more uh, less than 40% than the actual population of Russia. The, the ones that we know as blonde, blue-eyed, and liking to drink vodka. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the other part of the Russian country, or uh, yeah, state, would be... A- Asians, um, um, Muslim in faith, or, or different kind of ethnicities, many kind of ethnicities. And this is why we don't have to make, uh, uh, you know, like very quick decisions about, hey, do you know what, this, this could be from that country or the other country, because we need to think about one thing or another before we start th- uh, speaking. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to, to wrap up. Read history, guys. Read history. Everyone at home, read history. Yeah. Thanks, Boris. For Thank you very show. much, man. Thank you. Yeah.